this episode, we see the return of Christian Thibodeau from TibArmy.com. On this episode, Christian lays out his thoughts regarding body recomposition. Guys, this was a great conversation with Christian, and I hope you really enjoy it. All right, Tibbs, thanks so much for making time. I really do appreciate it. How are you keeping? Pretty good, actually. I've been social distancing for 42 years, so I'm kind of used to it by now. So it's, if anything, for me, it's a relief to know that everybody is suffering the way I have been suffering for years. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm, my wife is uh, due to give birth in three or four weeks, so that might change a bit our second kid. So I might have no free time anymore, but uh, so far, so good. Great stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm also in that club too. And yeah. uh, I call it physical distancing. Yeah. <laughs> ra- ra- yeah. Well, rather than socially. I mean, you, know, you still want to be social, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. Physical distancing, as, as, uh, as I say go. now. Come here. Um, got on to you because I really want you to share your thoughts on this concept of recomposition. Mm-hmm. So um, I suppose what sort of spiked my interest in this was, you know, obviously the year that was 2020 and COVID and the sort of intermittent access a lot of us had to gym facilities. Um, and not only just obviously the physical restraints that came with that in terms of our training, but then also like, you know, the, the sort of mental aspect of people being put out of their routines. And I think a lot of us, you know, from a body composition standpoint, maybe we haven't been as optimal as we have been in the past, just given everything that's gone on in 2020. So very interested to get your thoughts on recomposition. I know Jeff Nippard actually put a really good ebook on it. But I've seen many different sort of thoughts on it. You know, some people are like, you know, being a slight deficit with your nutrition. Others like, no, eat at maintenance and just manipulate the macros. Because there seems to be this, you know, agreed upon consensus that weight is, you know, essentially comes down to energy and energy out. But composition is more so to do with the macronutrients. And then obviously there's the stimulus of training. Yeah. I think you were one of the first individuals where, you know, there was this sort of line that went around for ages saying, ah, oh, it's, it's 90% nutrition and 10 train. And then one day I just heard you going, no, it's not. It's 100% nutrition and it's 100% training. Yeah. I actually so, stole that from Doreen Yates, so I, I can't take credit from that. And uh, what, it mean, what it means is that the one thing you're not doing properly is the one thing that's going to hold you back. So you can say, well, it doesn't matter if I don't train hard because it's only 50% of the equation. No, because if you don't train hard, that's, the one thing that will prevent you from achieving your goal. Yeah. And uh, sure, if Dorian said it, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. Savage. So I'm not going to say a word now for the next about 50 minutes. I just want you to really just lay out your thoughts on recomposition and maybe, I don't know, it's up to you whether you want to just not maybe tie that into your neurotypes. Cause again, you're, you know, as you've alluded to the neurotypes, they need different sort of training stimuli yeah. to, to one, make them adhere to a program and two, get them optimum results. So mm-hmm. how would you see this recomposition maybe within the framework and lens of your neurotyping? So mm-hmm. the floor is yours. I'm turning my mic off. And well, well I, I certainly hope that you will interject because I just, I don't want to like just talk for like 45 minutes, even though I can, but uh, I can talk for several hours, but, but let's just start by establishing what is body recomposition because it, it's a, pretty cool word or words, but not everybody actually know what we're talking about. And it, it basically means not changing your, your body weight that much, but changing how that weight looks on you. So you will basically reduce body fat while increasing muscle mass. Uh, so the, 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 the actual weight change might not be there, but you certainly will change how the body looks. So essentially, we are talking about losing fat while gaining muscle. And it is obviously a popular topic, and I can understand that many uh, online authorities w- would like to use that to sell ebooks or uh, sell concepts or training programs because that's basically what people want. Ask them what their training goals are, and they will all say, "I want to lose fat and gain muscle." And obviously, people they they want to believe that it's possible to achieve both goals. Uh, Gaining muscle is one of these goals. Losing fat is the other. It's possible to achieve both goals at the same time to a significant extent. And depending on a situation, it might be possible. But I I believe, and it's my experience, that it's actually hard to achieve true body recomposition in the same phase. Meaning that, let's say, for 12 weeks, 
you are programming your nutrition and your training so that you will lose fat and gain muscle at the same time as opposite to the traditional approach, which would be I'm going to spend X amount of time building as much muscle as I can, and then I'm going to spend X amount of time losing fat. So basically, you devote one phase of training or preparation to achieving one of the two goals, then you switch to the other one. Now, uh, recomposition, of course, being I'm going to try to achieve both at the exact same time. And I'm not saying it's not possible, but what I'm going to be saying is that in certain situations, it might be the best approach. In other situations, you might be shooting yourself in the foot. Now, the good news is that in our current situation, many people will be in the situation or in the, that, that one of those situations that it actually is possible to recomp properly. And that situation being, well, maybe a lot of people have not been training seriously for a while, especially not training with weights. And body weight training is a form of training. And to some extent, it might allow you to maintain or minimize your muscle mass or at least minimize your losses. But let's face it, most people will not stick to body weight training for any significant duration after we, we, we can do it for a few weeks but it, it just gets boring after that because and here's the thing for body weight training to work uh, to build muscle most people will need to push into that super painful zone because the fact of the matter is unless you're you're not strong or unless you master the most complex body weight skills and most people can't like the front lever the back lever iron cross stuff like that i mean most people don't have the setup to do that anyway but the, the thing is that most people body weight training will not provide a sufficient overload to create muscle damage uh, because you do need to create a fairly high amount of muscle tension in a muscle fibers then stretch those muscle fibers while they are still under that high tension to create damage with body weight training if you can do more than 30 reps on an exercise or even more than even 20 reps you, you probably won't cause much muscle damage at all so that can't be used as your trigger for muscle growth the only other triggers that exist would be uh, metabolic factors. So the increase in lactate, increase in growth factors. And that requires going into that zone where you have that huge burning sensation in those muscles and going to failure or close to it. So we're talking about a uh, very painful effort and not everybody wants to go there on a day-to-day -day basis, but it, it still can be used to maintain muscle. But still, most people who have been away from the gym, because depending on where you are in the world, you might have a, a limited access to a gym to train. Like For example, here in Quebec, uh, the gyms have been closed for three months. And before that, they were open for three months, but closed for three other months. So most people have not been able to train with weight. So that actually makes your body a lot more responsive to when you're going to get back to the gym. Uh, because here's the thing. Uh, if you've lost some muscle during the lockdown or, or when you didn't have access to a gym, regaining that muscle is actually easier to do than gaining muscle in the first place because some of the adaptations, structural adaptations are still there. Like the nuclear domain of your muscle cells are still there. So that actually makes the muscle much easier to support added tissue. So, so you will be able to gain muscle much faster. And what that means is that you will not mean, you, you will not need to be in a caloric surplus to build muscle. Whereas if you are trying to force your body to build muscle tissue it never had before, you probably will need to like be in a certain surplus. First, because, well, you will need to increase mTOR activation, which requires or, or is better to do with, with the caloric surplus. Uh, also, insulin will trigger mTOR activation. Uh, a caloric surplus will lead to a higher IGF-1 level, so more anabolic hormones. It's easier to build muscle in a caloric deficit. You can actually build muscle in a caloric deficit if you have sufficient protein and you're training hard enough, but it's always easy to build when you're in a surplus because hormonally speaking cortisol is lower igf1 is higher mTOR activation is higher so all good things that makes it easier to build muscle tissue but since we're talking about people who are likely like 
probably lost some muscle tissue while they were not able to train muscle tissue they already had, they can regain that muscle even in a pretty good deficit once they get back to serious training. And even if you try to maintain your muscle mass by doing bodyweight training, changing the type of stimulus going back to high tension resistance training is still going to be a, a, enough of a shock on your body so that it will trigger growth more easily than if you had not stopped training with weights in the first place. So that's the actual good news for those who want to wake up. Another point that you mentioned probably before we, we went live or before we started recording, you mentioned that most of us, maybe because of emotional reasons, maybe because of we subconsciously we try to fight stress we, we reward nutrition what happened is some of us gain fat during the lockdown by eating like shit and that's the other good news because if you go from eating like crap meaning probably lower protein than what you need and less quality of nutrition and if you go to a, a good nutritional program higher protein, quality food, even if you are on a deficit, or in fact, you could still be in a slight surplus and lose fat just because the quality of the nutrition is higher. Yes, calories in, calories out. Actually, I'm doing a video on the whole calories in versus calories out for uh, how, how effective a diet is to lose fat. And yes, it's the main factor, but many other factors exist when it comes to a diet leading to fat loss. And I'm gonna. Uh, it's a pretty long cap, so I'm not gonna like mention that here. But still, the, the point is that if you've been eating like crap, so too many calories, empty calories, not enough uh, micronutrients, not enough protein, and now you switch to a quality diet, even if you start at maintenance or a maintenance or even slight surplus, body composition, fat loss should still improve. Okay, like. If you add to the fact that if you get back to the gym, get back to a stimulus you have not encountered in a while, it is possible for roughly around six weeks to make decent improvement in muscle growth and also fat loss, achieving that recomp effect. And then what can happen is once you reach that, that six weeks period, you might decide, well, you know what? I'm gonna focus more on muscle growth. I'm gonna focus more on, on, on fat loss. Or you can still keep on going with try, trying to achieve both at the same time. Now, so that's the perfect situation, right? Uh, and we, we also see the same situation with beginners, people who start training with weights for the first time. Their body is so not used to physical stress of training that any type of training will represent such a strong stimulus that the body does not have a choice to adapt, okay? The more advanced you are, the more advanced you are, I'm, I'm in regular situation, not someone who stopped training because of lockdown, but if you've been training continuously, the more advanced you are, the harder it is to recomp because you're close to your genetic limit when it comes to building muscle. So it's much harder to build tissue. And also because your body is so used to any kind of training, it's, it's hard to represent a stress on the body. Oftentimes you will have to resort to more extreme methods of training either volume-wise, intensity-wise, or, or using uh, high-stress methods. And these will normally require a higher caloric intake to counterbalance the higher cortisol output from such methods, right? So, so you don't become too catabolic. So, but the person, okay, personally, the, what I, with the, let's say, non-beginner person who wants to achieve a recomp effect, the best approach I've personally experienced is not to try to achieve both goals on every day. So I don't like you're going to have a slight deficit seven days out of the week and you're going to train for hypertrophy or whatever seven days out of the week. What I like to do is to have fat loss days and muscle growth days. Okay. And here's the thing when you are training you increase protein synthesis by around 30 about roughly 30 36 hours so you have 30 36 hours to build muscle after that protein synthesis comes back down and it becomes pretty much equal with protein breakdown so it's kind of hard to build muscle so really the, the, the training event 
is the stimulus. And then about roughly a 24, 30 hours period after the session where you are trying to build tissue. Okay. So, so what I, you don't have to have an excess of cal in calories for four or five straight days if you want to build muscle from that workout. See what I mean? So what I like to do is, let's say you're training with weights four days a week. Well, on those four days a week, uh, and normally I like to do like two days together. So training on, two on, one off, two on, two off, for example, right? Uh, because that will allow us to, have an, to be in a, a, a significant surplus for the two training days in a row. And that's important because on that second day, you're still recovering from the first day, right? So you still have, uh, you will have a benefit from being in a surplus state. So you're going to have a slight surplus on those two training days with more of the extra calories being spent around the workout. Because if you have calories, carbs, protein around the workout, you have a greater mTOR response. You have more insulin to drive those nutrients inside the muscle cells. So that, that, let's say the 30 minutes before, up to around an hour after the workout is where you need to cram those nutrients in to be able to maximize the effect of the session. Then you continue, of course, having your protein after the workouts. So on, those two on the training days, you have a slight surplus. And on the off days, you will either be at maintenance or at a significant deficit, okay? So let's, let's look at the week. Let's say you're training Monday, Wednesday, uh, you're training Monday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, for example. And on a Wednesday, I would be in maintenance level, okay? Because you're still recovering from uh, the, the, the second workout, okay? Then on a Saturday, even though you trained the day before, I would be in a slight deficit. And on Sunday, I would be in a very large deficit, even fasting. One approach I've, I've used successfully with clients was you have two fasting days per week and then four days where you're in a surplus and one day at maintenance level. So those fasting days, because you're not eating at all, maybe a, a small protein meal at the end of the day. 400 calories max. So you have two days that will essentially establish your weekly deficit. You might lose as much as, let's say, half a kilo, let's say a bit less than a half a kilo on those days, okay? Depending on, on your body size, of course, okay? Then on the, the training days after that, even if you're in a surplus, you're not likely to store any of that as fat because you emptied up your muscle from glycogen. So you will store carbohydrates much more easily in the muscle instead of as body fat. And you will be a lot more sensitive to the protein because you can use more of that protein after a, a, low, a low protein day. So what you're doing with those fasting days, you are actually making the body more responsive to the nutrients you're ingesting the day after that. Here's the thing. Fasting can actually make you more sensitive to growth hormone and IGF-1. It can also increase the amount of satellite cells. So, so it, makes, it, it makes you more sensitive to insulin. It primes your body to respond to the caloric surplus the next day and the training. So you actually get a, a greater hypertrophy response the day after the fasting. And you have two days of fasting to create a very large deficit. I actually like doing cardio on those days just to get more AMPK response. The enzymes that will, in among other things, help mobilize fatty acids so you can actually lose more fat. So, so the, you actually organize the training based on the type of day you're doing. Now, if you really want to be anal about it, the highest volume day would be right after the fasting. So let's say you're fasting Sunday and Wednesday. On, on, on Monday, you have a very high volume of training. And that's where you have a very big surplus and tons of carbs. Because your body will actually be more responsive to those carbs. And you actually use that day to replenish muscle glycogen. Then the day after that, you have a lower volume, higher intensity workout. Okay? And you lower carbs, but increase proteins and fat. Almost keto-like diet. Okay? 
Because what you do is on that, let's say on Monday, high volume, very high carbs. Well, even if, like, if you if you work out in the morning or early afternoon, you still have several meals with carbs after your workout. You replenish, you compensate muscle glycogen. So on the next day, you don't need as many carbs because your muscles are full from the carb overload. And by using more high-intensity, low-volume training, you don't need as much energy anyway. You don't need as much carbs to fill the workout or to recover. See what I mean? So let's say that you're doing you're training Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or Thursday, Saturday. What you do is you do an, a lower upper split. So on Monday, let's say you do lower body, high volume. The next day, upper body, low volume, high intensity. The next two workouts will be reversed. So you did high volume, lower body on Monday. Then on a Thursday, you will do lower body, high intensity, low volume. And then on, or, or, or actually it would be smarter to do Let's say Monday, lower body, high volume. Tuesday, upper body, high intensity, low volume. You fast again on Wednesday. On Thursday, you go back to upper body, high volume. Because you want the high volume and the high carbs to be after the fasting day. And on Friday, you would go back to lower body, high intensity with low, low carbs, higher fat approach. Now, on those low-fat, uh, those low-carbs days, you could actually go with a caloric deficit. As long as protein is high, it, it, it will still work, especially since you overloaded carbs the day before and your carb stores are still full. And here's the thing, okay? And you mentioned it earlier. When it comes to building muscle tissue, okay? To build muscle tissue, you essentially need protein and energy, okay? Protein is the raw material that is used to build the muscle tissue, to repair the damage and then add more tissue. Muscle tissue is 22% protein, 70% water, and some tracing elements. The energy is required to fuel the muscle growth process, right? But that energy does not need to come from ingested nutrients. That's what people don't understand. If you have stored energy, the body can mobilize that energy to fuel the muscle growth process. That's why it's possible to build tissue even in a slight deficit. Now, the reason why some people lose muscle when they're dieting down is actually not because of caloric restriction. It doesn't help, but that's not the main reason. The main reason why, why people lose muscle or have a hard time building muscle when they're dieting down, two reasons. The first one will be excessive volume. The natural tendency that someone has when they want to get ripped is to do more sets, do more reps, do more exercises. Subconsciously, we do that to burn more calories or cut up the muscle, and that's bullshit. You should never use lifting as a caloric burning tool, okay? Yes, you burn calories because you're using fuel, but it should never be the goal. And the lower your calories are, the lower your overall volume should be. Because here's the thing, the more you need to mobilize stored energy when you're training. The more you release cortisol. The main function of cortisol when training is to mobilize stored energy so you don't run out of fuel when you're fighting a tiger or running away from a tiger. Okay, you're lifting weights, fighting a tiger for your body, it's exactly the same thing. So if you are in a caloric deficit, or if I'm doing lots of volume, while in a caloric deficit, my blood sugar level is probably lower to start with. I'm not ingesting nuts of nutrients. So I need right, of the, right from the start to mobilize stored energy. If I do more volume, more volume, more volume, well, I ask my body to mobilize even more stored energy. That leads to higher cortisol. And the cortisol is what leads to the muscle loss. Especially considering that when you are on a fat loss diet, 
the greater the deficit and the lower the carbs, the more cortisol you produce. Remember, the goal of cortisol is to mobilize stored energy. When you are in a deficit, you need to mobilize stored energy to survive, to fuel your everyday processes. And the greater deficit, the more mobilization you need, the more cortisol you release. So that's why people lose muscle when they're dieting down. It's because they already have a higher cortisol level because of the caloric restriction and the natural so it tends to do more volume. Now, if we go back to the schedule I mentioned, well, even if I'm training on one day where there's a small deficit, but the day before that, I was high carbs. Well, you know what? I'm not going to lose muscle because cortisol is not going to be continuously elevated for days and days and days because I'm dieting down one or two days in a row no more. Like maintenance or deficit followed by the fasting. And now I have a big surplus after that. So I never spend enough time in a caloric deficit to lead to a large, continuously elevated cortisol level. I will have spikes. Of course, you need spikes in cortisol to be able to train a heart and function. But it will not be chronically elevated for days in and days out over and over and over again. That's why when you go on a diet, for example, for body for bodybuilding contest, you will keep on building muscle for a few weeks. It takes a few weeks in a deficit for the body to start having a hard time building muscle or losing muscle because cortisol needs to become chronically elevated to become a big issue. So when you are waving your calories up and down, you are never spending more than one or two days with an elevated cortisol level, chronically elevated, okay? And even then, on the days where you are at maintenance or the slight deficit, you lower the volume way down, but increase the intensity. When I mean intensity is how hard you're pushing your sets. You go to failure, beyond failure, but one or two work sets per, per, per exercise, for example, a little bit like Doreen Yates used to train or like, uh, fortitude training by Scott Stevenson, stuff like that. And you do your volume on a day before that. The cool thing is that varying the stimulus will actually help you build muscle even without a surplus. Here's the thing. The more distressed your body is when facing a, 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 an event or a potential danger, the greater his response will be. So for example, if you've been, that's why it's very hard to keep building muscle once you advance. Your body is so accustomed to training. It's almost immune to training. You've been training for 20 years, 20 years training hard. You tried every method, every whatever. So it's very hard to create a training session. That is actually a true stress on the body. Yeah, but I'm training hard. Yeah, but you've been training the same way for 20 years. It's like someone working in a field. Sure, they're tired afterwards because they spent energy, but they don't continuously get stronger and stronger and stronger from working on the field because the type of day they're spending, they're, they're working, it's no longer a stress. Their body is used to it. It's immune to it. There's no need to adapt, okay? So one of the key, in my opinion, one of the key to build muscle, especially when you are in a situation that it's harder to trigger growth, very advanced person, or you, need, you want to build muscle and lose fat at the same time, is you, you want each session to be a stressful event. So it forces the body to change, okay? And how do you do that? Well, several ways. Okay, and look, let's look at every possible ways of increasing the perceived danger of a stressful event. You have basically two broad categories. First, the type of stimulus. The more foreign, the more different, the newer the type of stress is, the less intensity of stimulus you need to have. Because if it's completely new, 
it does represent in itself a stress. The more often you, you repeat a type of stress, the less stressful it becomes because the body has seen it before. Second variable is the intensity of the stress. Intensity will refer in training to how much volume you're doing, how much weight you're adding on the bar, how hard you go on each step, the density of training. These are ways you can use to make the stress more demanding. I'm turning up the, 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 the volume on the radio. So basically, the type of stress is the song that plays on the radio. The volume, the intensity, the intensiveness, how hard I'm pushing my set, how much weight I'm putting on the bar, that's the volume on the radio. So the, the song, so for example, if you've never listened to dubstep before, even if it's like the volume is low, it might annoy the shit out of you. But after a while, you get used to it. It's not a stress anymore. But if I turn the volume way up, dude, what the fuck is going on, right? But after a while, you get used to it. Fine. But now you're switching to that metal. You know what? The that metal might actually, even if the volume is low, dude, what the fuck is going on? Because it's a new type of stress you've never heard before. And you get used to that. You increase the volume. It's stressful again. So you can either increase the demand of the stressful or the, the intensity of the stressful situation by changing the type of stimulus to something that the body is not used to doing. Or you can take something you are used to doing, but you make it more stressful, more demanding. Now, I'm going to use an example. Uh, I'm someone, and, and if every, anybody who knows my work knows that I gravitate more toward the variation changing the type of stimulus that increasing the volume intensity and stuff like that i'm more of a method guy okay now personally in my in my own training i've noticed rapid change or improvement in body composition whenever i change completely my type of training several examples a few years back uh, my wife is really into crossfit so I, I got a brain fart and started doing CrossFit myself. And I was training lots of CrossFit athletes. So I wanted to understand what they were going through. For the first several weeks, three or four weeks, I had dramatic changes in body. I lost fat. I got more muscular in certain areas. I looked look better and better and better. After that, I actually started regressing. Okay. Now, another example. Several years ago, uh, I, I wanted to learn gymnastic rings work. So I exclusively trained on rings and body weight for about, let's say, three months. Once again, first month, dramatic changes in body composition. After that, it plateaued. And in the end, I started to have a slight regression. Uh, and probably because when I, when I stagnate, I, I try to do more. And the excess leads to higher cortisol and I lost muscle mass and gained fat. Now, same thing. And whenever I, I reintroduced the Olympic lifts in my workout, my training, and I, I switched from bodybuilding work to more performance-based work, my body composition improved for about three weeks. The moral of the story is when you switch to something that is extremely different than what you are used to doing, you don't need a large amount of it or a large volume, a large intensiveness for that method to create a dramatic change. The more the body is used to a certain type of stress, the harder it is to force adaptations. And if you've been training the exact same way for years, then the only way you have to continue triggering growth is to increase the intensity of the stimulus. So you can add volume, you can add weight to the bar, progressive overload, or you could go deeper and deeper and deeper in the intensiveness zone. So going to failure, going beyond failure, beyond, beyond failure, okay? The problem is that all three of these approaches are, are finite. You, you can't keep pushing them forever. I mean, for example, let's look at, at, at the volume approach. 
Well, if volume was the only way or the main way to keep progressing, like the, the, the more muscle you build, the more experience you have, the more volume you need to do. Well, at one point, we're going to all have to train eight hours a day to keep building muscle. That's not practical. You just can't keep doing sets after sets. Just from a practical standpoint. And even then, the more volume you do, the more cortisol you, you produce. So there's another, like if you're natural, there's a limit to how much volume you can tolerate without producing too much cortisol and actually negating your gains. Same thing with uh, the intensive. How hard you're pushing each set. Sure, going from an RPE of eight, from eight to nine or 10, that's taking you a step further that will make the stress the training stress greater and probably force new adaptations. But where do you go from there? I go to failure, I, I rest pause, and I go to failure again. Sure. But at one point, you won't be able to achieve failure five times in one set. First, psychologically, you just can't do it. Second, muscle fiber fatigue will actually prevent you from keeping going and going and going. And it's, and then there's also the cortisol issue. The set will create such a great a high stress response, you just can't. You can't do it. Anyway, you, you can't keep pushing further and further and further beyond failure forever either. And the weight's the same thing. I mean, only adding one kilo per week on your bench press, one kilo, that's nothing. That's still 50 kilos a year. In four years, we will all be bench pressing 300 kilos. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. These are all finite. So to me, the only thing that you can always keep changing is the type of stimulus. Because if you move away from a certain type of stimulus for long enough, your body will become resensitized to it. Okay, I was training for mainly for Olympic weightlifting for years and years and years, but I stopped doing them for a certain period of time. When I Every time I go back to them, even if it's only been six months since I've done them, there's still a rapid change for three weeks. If I haven't done uh, bodyweight training or sprint work and I go back to them for two or three weeks, there will be a rapid change. If I go from bodybuilding work with light weights and pump work and I stop that and I go, I go more strength side, I will get gains again. If I go from more of a like big basic movement, sets of six reps, very little assistance work, all body training, I go from that to bodybuilding split, mostly isolation work, pump stuff, I will progress fast again. See what I mean? Because every time you switch to a completely different type of stimulus, you don't have to push volume to the extreme. You don't have to push intensity to the extreme. You don't have to use the weights, always try to add more and more and more weight. So in my opinion, every time you switch your the type of stimulus, the easier it is to gain. And that's why I like in one training week, to have completely different type of stimulus when you are trying to achieve recomposition because the body will never adapt to one type of stress, okay? So that, well, that's one way that you can make it easier to build muscle tissue and lose fat at the same time. Because here's the thing, okay? The more inefficient, people, people look at, okay? Losing fat, it's mostly caloric balance, calories in versus calories out, which is not untrue, okay? It, it is true. There are caveats, but it's for the most part true. The thing is that calories out are not linear and they are not only related to uh, you look at your calculation, my, this is my, ba my, my BMR, this is my daily caloric expenditure. You know what? Daily caloric expenditure will fluctuate hugely. For example, in theory, a lifting workout might burn 300 calories, for example. But if your body is super inefficient, at that type of training, maybe you're burning 450. You need more fuel because the movement pattern is not as efficient. You are the muscle contraction processes might, but if you always train in the 
three, five rep range. And all of a sudden you need to use more the glycolytic pathway and train for sets of 60 seconds. You will be inefficient at it. You will burn a lot more fuel to achieve, to, to get the same effect. So the less efficient you are, the more calories you burn for the same task. So that makes it easier to create a deficit without having to cut food as much. Furthermore, the more adaptation you need, the more you need to adapt following a workout, meaning that the type of stimulus was completely different because the more different it is, the more you need to adapt because the body is not prepared for that. The more you need to adapt, the more energy you need to create those adaptations in your body. So that actually contributes to increasing calories out. You are burning more calories to adapt to the stress. And the more stressful the event is, the more you need to adapt. Because every time you put a stress on the body, let's say training stress, the body will actually need to answer one question. Is the effort and energy I will need to adapt to that stress worth it? Okay. For example, because the body only cares about one thing. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't care that you want to look better for the beach uh, or the club. All it cares about is survival. So every time I use more fuel to do something, the body needs to answer, well, is spending that fuel, which could be used for my survival, will spending that money on building tissue, on building muscle, is it worth it? In other way, in other words, the stress you placed on your body during your training must feel more like a danger than running out of fuel. See what I mean? You are a, you are a caveman and you are roaming the forest, okay? Building more muscle will increase how much fuel you need daily, right? It's, it's your engine. But building more muscle will also allow you to be stronger, be more efficient in combat, and run faster and throw a spear harder. So it makes you better in combat, right? So if you're constantly asked to fight tigers and lions and, and uh, other at back then because saber-toothed tigers were a lot more dangerous than our lame tigers we have now, right? So if every week you need to fight to save your life, then yes, having more muscle tissue is worth it. But if you are a caveman who lived from agriculture, well, not, not caveman and agriculture because they were, that, that's after, but let's say you live on plants and fruits and stuff like that, and you never really get into fights, well, no, building more muscle is not worth it. See what I mean? So the more stressful your workouts are, the more likely your body is to want to add tissue. However, if you achieve that high stress by doing more volume or by constantly pushing harder and harder and harder, you might actually be in a cash 22 situation because now, yeah, the training session is a high stress, so you want to adapt but you release so much cortisol from that workout that it, it inhibits muscle growth. Also, if you train so much that you create excessive muscle damage, remember, you only have 30, 36 hours to build muscle after your workout. If you create so much damage that you cannot repair it, before the end of that 36 hours period, well, you know what? You're going to lose muscle. And that's the danger of doing too much volume when you are in a caloric deficit. You're creating so much damage, muscle damage, increasing cortisol, the body just cannot repair all of that before the end of the period where protein synthesis is increased. So really what you want to use is, is an approach where the stress of the workout is due to a completely foreign stimulus because now you don't have to go extreme volume or even extreme intensity. And that's why earlier I mentioned that many people are in a good situation to have body recon 
Because now, if you haven't been training for three months or not training with weights for three months, any workout you'll be doing will represent a stress because the body is resensitized to it. Okay. So you actually don't have to go to extremes. And if on top of that, you keep changing the stimulus, it's going to be much easier to build muscle while in a deficit, because that's the thing. When the stimulus is completely foreign, well, you're more likely to be able to build muscle, even if you might be in a deficit, because wow, you know, that stimulus, that stress is a huge danger because I've never seen that before. You will need to build muscle tissue much more than if it's the same type of training you're doing over and over and over again. The body, well, you know what? I've done this before. I survived. Maybe I don't need to build as much muscle tissue from it, right? And again, if the type of training is unusual, for it's new for you. You don't need to increase volume to get, to get a, a strong stimulus. And not having to do volume allows you to eat less and be able to recover. So that's why I like to use more variation than anything else when I, I'm focusing on recomp, okay? That actually allows you to be able to build muscle even while in a deficit. Now, I, I, I mentioned earlier more complex approach. If you don't want to make matters complicated, what you can do is simply change your training methods every week or every two weeks. Never repeat the same workout more than twice. Okay. And I'm not, for it's funny because, uh, now, I, I've, I've written well over 600 articles and, and four or five books. I don't remember. So there's a lot I've written and I don't remember. And recently I was on Instagram and, and a coach, a strength coach from uh, a, a U.S. Uh, university strength coach, Colin Strength Coach, that I really respect, uh, Joe Ken, wrote a post saying that the most effective program he used for athletes when they're trying to build muscle was something I designed in one of my books. I don't even remember in which book. Actually, it was an, I think it was an article in which I would change the way the reps are performed weekly. For example, week one, it would be with a, 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 six, a six zero one zero tempo, so six second eccentric for six reps. Second week, six reps, but you will have an isometric hold on each rep, and the duration of the hold would change change from rep to rep. So rep one, five, six seconds hold. Rep two, five seconds. Rep three, four seconds. Rep four, and so on and so forth, right? The third week, it was using a four, zero, three, zero tempo. So four seconds eccentric, three seconds concentric. And week four was regular tempo, two, zero, one, zero. And he said, well, every time we do this, this block of training, all the other strength coaches know we're doing it because they all say that your athletes gain a lot of muscle. It's not because those loading schemes are anything special. It's because it's completely foreign for the body. Every time you, every week, it's a completely different type of stimulus. Here's the thing. I do not believe that changing exercises is a good way to introduce, to change a type of stimulus. To me, going from a bench press to an inclined bench or, or a flat dumbbell press, if you're doing your reps the same way, it's the same thing to me. The muscle tissue is asked to contract the same way. Sure, there's a slight change in angle, so maybe different muscle fibers or uh, different synergistic muscle will come into play, but the muscle tissue, the nervous system, is asked to contract the same way, produce force the same way, deal with the same type of tension. You need to change how you are performing your reps or how you're performing your sets. To me, that, that means either changing the tread, the tempo dramatically. I mean, going from 4-0-1-0 to 6-0-1-0, it's not a big change. It's, it's just slightly slower. It needs to be a huge contrast, right? Or you can change a method. Like week one, you can go rest pause and go drop set or even more. Be Rest pause, clusters, for example, something completely different. 
because the intensity of contraction, the respirate, it, it, it changes the nature, the type of the stress. That's what you want, okay? So to me, the best way to be able to recomp is to change a type of stress every one or two sessions for the same muscle group, what I mean, or the same workout. Because that way you don't need to push volume higher and that allows you to recover faster because the, 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 and that's where people are wrong or, or their instincts are wrong. I want to get leaner. I'm going to do more volume. And I mentioned that earlier, right? And because it makes sense in theory or instinctively. If I do more volume, I can actually build more muscle. But since I'm burning more fuel, I will, I will cut at the same time. But as I mentioned, that doesn't work. Because more volume equals more cortisol. More volume leads to more muscle damage. If you are in a deficit, yes, you can build muscle. But because GF1 is lower, because cortisol is higher, because insulin is lower, your capacity to build muscle is less. You can still build it, but slower. So if you create more damage, you are much more likely to be unable to repair all the damage you cause. So you want to create enough of a stimulus with the least amount of damage and energy expenditure and cortisol. That is what will allow you to build muscle even while in a deficit. That's why changing the type of training is best. You know what? If you love variation and you are open to new ideas and you have a pretty large training background, well, you know what? I've written programs called Pendulum Training. I wrote that 20 years ago, and it still works because every week you completely change a type of stimulus. Week one could be a powerlifting week. Week two, bodybuilding week. Week three, explosiveness week. Then you go back to hypertrophy and you go back to strength. It's a pendulum. You never actually get used to any type of stimulus. Uh, people will call, well, it's basically you just go from one thing to the other. It makes no rhyme or reason. If your goal is body recomp, it doesn't matter. You're not preparing for the Olympics. You're not training to max out on a clean and jerk. So what if it changed every week? Anyway, any, anyway, training events are completely individualized. So what you did this Monday, you don't need to repeat it next Monday to keep progressing. A workout is a stress. Then there's the adaptation to that stress. All you need. Is, is this event stressful enough to force my body to adapt? It doesn't need to be. Is it stressful compared to the last time I did the same thing? That makes no sense. In fact, the more you repeat the same workout, the less effective that workout is because you are used to that type of stimulus. Make sense? So to me, if I want to make one very, if you want to make this super simple, slight deficit, constantly change your training stimulus every week. And if you, 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 you judge caloric intake based on energy level. So it can be anywhere from slight deficit to maintenance level. The more you go with training stimulus and are foreign to your body, the more you can go toward maintenance. So and the, the more advanced you are, so likely the more adapted to training you are, the more you need to go in that deficit zone. But then you, you judge it from week to week. I mean, it, it, it might be boring, but when we work with clients, my staff and I, we simply look at the, 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 the body composition changes from week to week and we adapt caloric intake from that. I mean, if you have not, because even if you build muscle, you're not going to build more than a quarter of a kilo per week. So it's not going to be measurable on scale, right? It's going to be measurable on a monthly basis. But that doesn't mean you're not building muscle. So if you are not losing weight when you're recomping, to me, it means that your caloric intake is not low enough. Because you're not building enough muscle in one week to offset the fat loss. See what I mean? So even if you're building muscle and you're in a recomp phase, you should still lose at least a quarter, if not more of a kilo per week or half a kilo per week. 
So we, we adjust calories based on, on that progression. Of course, protein never changed. We never decrease protein. I, I prefer to start at maintenance level and we change. Now, that is the simple approach. Variation every week, change a type of training as much as you can within your own paradigm. For example, me, it's very easy to change completely my workouts per week. I could go Olympic lifting for a week, powerlifting for a week, CrossFit for a week, gymnastic for a week, because I've done all of that. But if someone is more limited in the type of training he's doing well, he won't be able to vary as much, okay? But you vary as much as you can within your own paradigm. It could be simply changing the tempo, but dramatically. Could be changing, but it basically just, you need to make your muscles contract a different way, okay? And then you go with either maintenance or slight deficit, and you adjust from there. That's very simple. If I'm losing, for example, more than one kilo per week during a recomp phase, it's probably too fast and I need to increase calories. Christian, uh, listen, uh, it was funny. You were like, oh, yeah. I, you, you said at the start, I, I don't want to go on 45 minutes. But I, was, <laughs> I was like, I'll, I, you, and for sure, as you alluded to, you could go for hours. But uh, I love when you get into a sympathetic state. The pupils yeah. are nice and dilated. Come here, listen, I actually have a ton of questions, but I've no time. So what, what, I, what I'd like to do is I'm going to go away probably re-listen to this and i actually have a, i actually have formulated a lot of questions in my head just for certain things you said oh, we'll, we'll and, do a part two. and we'll do uh, i think a part two would be great where what i can do is i can list out four or five key questions from what you've just covered there and you can come back with not rebuttals but like you know you say okay i can see where that question is coming from here's what yeah. i would say to that absolutely. um listen this is absolutely brilliant um fantastic stuff um just let the listeners know where they can find out more about you and everything you got got you you have got going on over at your website uh, well i have my, my website is uh, of course tebarmi.com uh, we actually gonna ha- launch a new website uh well it's probably gonna be up by the time this podcast goes on yeah. uh of course i still write for t nation so we can also find my articles there i have a forum there also uh, my, my instagram basically changes every every week because i'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out what is the best name to get the most followers possible so i i first talk about like first it was Debarmi, then it was Coach Christian Thibodeau. Then I, I'm going I'm to try calling myself like the glute guy, but I think it already exists. Uh, no, it, it, so it's Christian Thibodeau at, at, at Tib Army. So that's right. my, my, my tip about show. Yeah. And then also I have uh, one thing I, I really want to like push more is my YouTube chain. Yeah, There's also Coach Christian Thibodeau, and I post weekly videos, and they are actually quite in-depth. So I'm yeah. trying to get that off the ground, but it's super hard with the algorithm and all that stuff. Uh, I'll link all that up in the show notes so don't worry about that and just from me to the listeners like I've been following your your work for years and just like if you just went to like the old school teenage articles that's where it all started for me it was like this fucking Christian yeah. guy is great no, and then, and then the, stuff and was then, actually better than the new one and then the, when the books came out the black book and then the 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 modern the the the, the implication of modern string power methods yeah. yeah i love that book yeah exactly and then the black the black book of training secrets absolutely phenomenal do you know you have some other books that you never that some people are talking about like the high threshold training and mr jekyll and hyde they're great books as well yeah well the dr jekyll and mr hyde book doesn't exist anymore anyway because i i the way it was set up was basically is how to achieve body transformation naturally or enhanced and i was not in charge of the enhanced portion was anthony roberts but because it was still both sides of the coin people starting associate me with more with steroids which i don't I mean i've i've done them i've used i've trained athletes to use them but i don't want to be known for that so it, it we kind of got it out of circulation and the eye threshold muscle building uh, actually is cool for guys like you who have an athletic background mm. Because it blends high performance and hypertrophy, but for more traditional, but it, it, it's it's kind of risque to combine two philosophies like building muscle and high performance because you only yeah. please those who are already in that mindset. You the can also muscle. You can also interfere with skill acquisition and stuff like that. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 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 But, uh, just again, uh, I always screw up the title of that book. So, yeah, the theory and application of modern strength and power methods, modern methods of attaining super strength. Yeah, that's a great book. I love it. Here, Christian, I'm going to go. I'll say goodbye to you offline. But for everyone who's listening right now, until next time, take care. 
Be well and stay strong. Thank you.